Looking forward to our time together in the Word, though. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, is where we're going to be. Um, we're going to talk about living a life that is apologetic. And we're going to start there. So I just want to ask you a question, as we do. When you think of apologetic, what do you think of? Like, how would you define the word apologetic? Apologizing or being sorry, okay? Anybody else? Apologetic. Yes, ma'am? Sorry, okay, very good. Apologetic? Anybody else? When you think of the word apologetic, do you think of anything? So, yes. The Lord what? The Lord himself? You know, that's exactly right. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so when you look at this title, if you think of a living apologetic, you may think I'm supposed to be living telling people I'm sorry all the time. Like living apologize. Like I've always got to say I'm sorry. So we're talking spiritually speaking today, being a living apologetic. There's a different way to define that same word. So one way is saying I'm sorry. Another way is to, to give a reason or a defense for something that you believe is true. That's called an apologetic. Okay, does that make sense? So what we're not saying today is that we need to walk around everywhere and apologize for God. And we don't need to apologize for being, I'm sorry I'm a Christian. I'm sorry I believe there's Jesus. You know, I'm sorry he created things and he messed up your world. No. We're not apologizing for God. We're giving reason for why we believe the Bible is true and that God exists. So talking about being a living apologetic uh, is what we're going to be dealing with today. So that word apologetic comes from a, a Latin word, rather. That's apologia. Um, and the whole idea there, again, is that we can give a reason for what we say we believe. Now, there are people who say that we shouldn't be about this. Christians shouldn't have to give a reason for what they believe. Like to try to defend, like God needs our defense. Does God need us to defend him? I mean, is he in heaven just like, oh, no. You know, if they don't stand up for me, nobody's going to believe and my world's going to fall to pieces. No, it's not that way. Okay? So it's not that we have to defend God. It's, it's that we give a reason for why we believe what we believe. So some people say that's unspiritual, that that brings God to our level or belittles God or it removes the Holy Spirit. All right? So if you can explain God away, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's not necessary. It makes the Bible untrue. No God in the story. All right? So we're not trying to do away with God. We're not trying to remove the Holy Spirit. What we're trying to do is do what the Bible says. Anybody want to be obedient to Scripture? All right, and so that's what we want to be after today. And that's what we're going to talk about. So a few of these before we get into the text. One would be Isaiah 1. Isaiah says, come let us reason together in chapter 1. Come let us reason together. Okay, so it's not just um, blind faith, which is kind of the criticism that we get when we cannot give reason. Right, you believe in God and you don't even know why you believe in God. It's just a blind faith for you. You've taken a step into the dark, a shot in the dark, hoping there's a God hoping that what you believe is actually true. That's the criticism for those who can't defend. Isaiah says, wait a minute. Come let us reason together. Let's think about who God is. We're not going to be there today, but 1 Peter 3 says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Okay? That word reason is the word apologia. It's the same word that can be translated defense. 
Okay? So be able to defend your hope. It doesn't say be able to defend everything about God because we can't do that. But be able to defend, give a reason for why you believe. So if somebody says to you, why do you believe in God? What do you say? What do you give? You give your reason. You give your apologia. All right? And so that's verbally. We're going to talk today about living it out, but that's verbal. So that's 1 Peter 3. Uh, when Paul was before King Agrippa, Areopagus, uh, Acts 26, Paul gives his testimony and he says before King Agrippa, he says, you know my testimony is true and reasonable. Okay? And so he's not saying, hey, let's just believe in something that's mythical or something that's hard to believe. You know that what I'm telling you is not only true, but it's also reasonable. In Acts 1, you guys were there maybe four or three or four weeks ago. Luke writes and says, Jesus, after he was resurrected, showed himself by many convincing proofs. So Luke says, when Jesus was resurrected, he gave proof that he was resurrected. Jesus himself, like Miss Kylie said for us, was a, and is a living apologetic. After he was resurrected, remember when he walked through the locked door where the disciples were? And they start freaking out and panicking. Like, who, this is a ghost. How is this happening? And Jesus says, give me some food. I'll show you and I'll, I'm not a ghost. I'll eat it. And so he gave an evidence that it was him. You remember Thomas in the end of the book of John, John 20, somewhere in there. Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. So what does Jesus do? That's right. And so he says, here's my hands. Touch my side. That's right. And so that is called evidence, right? There's proof. There's a reason to believe that God is who he said he is, that Jesus is who he said he is, that the Bible is true. So when we talk about living apologetic, that's what we're talking about. Not I'm sorry, but let me give you a reason for why what I believe is true. Now, lots of great people on the planet right now do this in ways that are spectacular. I'm not one of them. I love to listen to these guys. Uh, you may have heard of a guy like Ravi Zacharias. Just super, super impressive mind. Uh, love to hear that guy speak. Um, J. Warner Wallace is a homicide detective out of L.A. You heard of J. Warner Wallace? He's an atheist who went to use his homicide skills to disprove the resurrection. And now he's a believer who's written a book called Cold Case Christianity and why there is valid evidence for the resurrection, why it's true. Okay? You remember a man named Lee Strobel? He's a modern-day apologist. Lee Strobel set out to win his wife back from this cult, which was the church, he thought, that had taken his wife captive. And so he's going to interview people to disprove the Bible. And along his journey, he finds out there's more than enough evidence to believe, take a step of faith in the light of evidence. And so he does, and he's a believer. So lots of guys walk on the planet right now, and there's many others who do it in spectacular ways. Um, but have you ever shared reason with somebody? And them still go, no, I don't believe that. That sounds true and reasonable, and I get where you're coming from. I just don't believe it. You know, I had a conversation with, uh, with a guy here not too long ago, and that was the exact thing. Heard all about God, knew the Lord, or knew who the Lord was. And so I was walking through an apologetic with him, and he says, I, I hear what you're saying, it makes sense, but I still don't believe. Okay? So I can't make somebody believe. You can't make anybody believe either. But today we're going to look at one of the greatest apologetics. And it's way bigger than our mouth. Alright? It's way bigger than our mouth. We're talking about our life here today. Have you ever heard the expression, 
your, wor- your life is speaking so loud I can't hear the words that you're saying. Or what you do is speaking so loud I can't hear the words that you're saying. Okay? That's the idea here today that we're pursuing. That's the kind of bottom line principle. We want our life to speak loudly so that people can understand what we're saying. That we're speaking something that is truth. Make sense? Okay. Makes sense to me. Hopefully it'll make sense to you when we walk out of here shortly. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to go verse uh, 11 to verse 25. Here Peter's writing to remind these people. Listen, they're in a secular society. Okay? Secular society. And... Uh, they're going to make fun of these troublemakers who are now called Christians. And Peter's writing to encourage them not just to say. Matter of fact, he doesn't say at this point, say anything good. He's going to talk about living your life in a way that is, that's credible. Alright, so here we go. Verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Important verse this morning. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. That's a good thing. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Here's his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Ooh. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and to this overseer of your souls. And so here this morning, we want to highlight a few things as it relates to you and I living as an apologist, living an apologetic life. Remember, it's not I'm sorry, it's let me give you a reason for what I believe is another way of being an an apologetic. Three things. You want to follow along today in your bulletin. You can. It's fine. It's there. You can write on if you'd like. You don't have to at all. But we'll start here with number one. First is this. As an apologist, we've been forgiven. And we've got to start here. We've been forgiven at great expense by our Savior. As an apologist, that basically... Okay, so let's back up a second. If you are an apologist, that means that you've been saved. That means that you have not only understood what's true, but you've received that as true. And he has saved you from your sins. You are part of the family of God. So as that person, as an apologist, we've been forgiven at great expense to our Savior. The reason I say we start here is because if we don't, we want to rush to number two. And when I rush to number two, it gets to a whole lot of trouble. All right? Because I like number two in ways that are not healthy or spiritual. Um, but I'm kind of bent that way and I'd like to run there 
and forget about the compassion that has been shown to me. Uh, so let's go back here and let's read it again in verse 24. We've got to start where Jesus has started with us. It says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. that sound familiar? Did we sing that this morning? Okay. So there's purpose in that, right? Just trying to get some things stuck in our head. By his wounds we've been healed. That means by the, the stripes or the scourging or the death and bloodshed of Jesus on the cross, we now have access to forgiveness. So if we've been saved by his wounds, then we have been, we've been healed. Now help me out. Who was the one deserving of punishment? We were. We are. All right? And so we were the ones who should have righteously received. That means we've earned it. Okay? And he says, I'll take on you your sin and I'll give you in exchange my purity. Um, but it's going to come at great expense. And that great expense was the blood of Jesus. Uh, you know, this is not going to be on the wall, but we just read it. The scriptures talked about how he did not retaliate when he was uh, reviled. You know, how he did not threaten when he was beaten. Now, how would you respond if somebody was beating your child? You know, I, uh, Facebook theology, I saw a kid this week getting beat up on a video. And have you guys ever seen those? A friend of mine posted he's in the Marines. He's a sniper. He's got the ability to hurt people badly, <laughs> still to this day. And he posted this video and he said, I hope my path never crosses yours. You'll wish that it hadn't. And, and so when I'm watching that attitude rises up in me. Anybody else? You know, I think somebody hurt my children. I think God would give me the grace to endure that correctly. That's what I think. I think it would hurt me. I think I would be devastated by it. But I don't want to be one of these Christians who discounts the power of God. You can be mean to me, but don't mean to my wife. I'm going to come on gluten. That's just dumb theology. I want to love you the way Christ does, even if you're mean to my wife. I want to love you the way Christ does, even if you're mean to my children. All I'm saying to you is there's an attitude within me that says, when I see that kid getting beat up, I want to beat back. And what Jesus said here, Peter said, as our model is, no, no, no. Right? He was abused. He was reviled, yet he didn't retaliate. Now, he was beaten, but he didn't try to get even. So all we're doing is highlighting the attitude, not the action, right? I'm not trying to get you to go out here and start beating up people. I'm just, let's be honest, all right? That wells up in us here. And so at great expense, what we see is we've got to show compassion. And so Jesus, the Father God, could have said, listen, you're abusing my son. No, it's not tolerated. And so I'm about to bring my wrath on you. And Jesus said, no, whatever way this has to be done, let's get it done and forgive them because they just don't understand what they're doing. So... I understand the attitude, but let's ask Christ to grow us as, into maturity as Christians. Don't be mean to my kids or I'll come unglued. No, I don't want you being mean to my kids, but I'm going to love you like Jesus. That's my hope. That's my desire. That's the man that I want to be. That's the people we need to be. All right, that's our example here. So it comes at great cost. So you see why we've got to start with number one. Because number two gets to the attitude that we were just talking about. And if we don't deal with number one first on a daily basis, reminding ourselves that at great expense I've been compassionately forgiven, then I'm going to rush at people and retaliate and get even. And ugly Corey comes out, and, and he still likes to show up occasionally. 
We've been forgiven at great expense. One of the results of being healed, he writes about here and says, We no longer live for the things of this world. We're not short-sighted. We've got an eternal mindset, so it's not about the temporary. It's about things that are going to last forever. So it's not about worldly or earthly pleasure. And so I like how Peter addresses the people here. Let's read this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. If you're a foreigner here, what's it mean? It means this is not your, this is not your homeland. Okay? You're here for whatever reason, but you've got to know this is temporary. So don't live like you're here forever. Be an example of what it means to be compassionately forgiven. It comes at great expense and it will cost us great expense as well. So he says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul because you know this isn't your home. Live as though this isn't home. And so to do so means I've got to remind myself of the cost of forgiveness. If Jesus died for me, he died for the people who are trying to hurt me. True? Man, that takes a supreme grace in me to not only acknowledge that, but to try to flesh that out in love towards somebody else. That's the example. As an apologist, we've got to demonstrate not only, or not say with our mouth, we've got to demonstrate it also with our life. All right, here, let's go to. As an apologist, our lives have power to silence the ignorant. Doesn't that sound good? Now, that's, that's a churchy way of saying what we're all thinking. We have the power as an apologist to silence the ignorant talk. Now, like I said, if we're not mindful, we'll run here first. And so that would be exciting, wouldn't it? You're talking to somebody and they're just belittling your faith. They're making little of your God. And we would just love to be able to, what? Well, you all are good Christian people this morning. All right, so we'd like to knock some sense into them. Yeah, I was thinking, I'd like to shut you up, right? Yeah, I see that hand. I know what you're thinking, right? That's the way we work sometimes. It's like, I don't want to tolerate what you're saying. You're not listening to me. I'm trying to help you, right? Your life is a mess. You don't understand how all the dots connect. I'm trying to connect dots for you, and you keep belittling it. You just need to be quiet. I mean, how often do people just say, okay. I didn't know I had to be quiet, you know. Continue with your story. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. No. It happens just the opposite of what the text says. When Jesus was talked badly towards, he didn't react. He didn't retaliate. When we speak ill towards people, it usually comes right back at us. So our lives, not our mouths, our lives have the ability to silence ignorance. And let's read it here. Verse 15 1 Peter chapter 2. For it's God's will that by what? That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It's not about your mouth. I don't care how great your apologetic is. If our life doesn't match our apologetic, it is worthless. So you might be able to put people in their place. You might be able to make the atheist be silent. But you won't win his heart. You won't win her heart. I won't win their heart if it's not displayed by doing good. You want to know how to silence them to where they start getting curious and thinking about what you're saying? Demonstrate it by how you live. As an apologist, yeah, we've got to talk it, but we've definitely got to walk it. Our lives have the power to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And so Peter's saying, listen, those who belong to God, we've got this power. And this power comes through a transformed life. 
You know, Francis Schaeffer said, the greatest apologetic on the planet is love. The greatest apologetic on the planet is love. Love is worked out, fleshed out in a transformed life. A life that's being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the power of the Word of God. Right, so in these things, now we have a great opportunity by good deeds to silence people. So remember, if we skip number one and run to number two, it's going to be sit down and shut up. But if we remember number one, by his wounds I've been healed, then I'll walk into this conversation with kindness. I'll walk into this conversation with patience. I'll walk into this conversation with compassion. Matter of fact, I may not even say a word. I want you to know before anything that I love you greatly. And I'll prove that in any way I possibly have to. If it grants me an opportunity for, for your ear just to hear the conversation I would like to share. So does Peter say speak loudly? No, Peter doesn't say speak loud or get more intense with what we're saying. Does he say belittle ignorant people? No. Alright, so sometimes we get belittled because of what we believe. He's saying, no, let's don't do that in return. He's not saying show apathy towards people that don't believe. He's saying, no, live your life as an apologist. You've been influenced by grace. Prove it. You've got the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Alright, let's demonstrate that as a life that is transforming. A life that's currently becoming more and more like Christ. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not in that text, but there were several words there that were all about doing. Not one word about saying. 1 Peter 3 is going to talk about saying, give reason for your hope. 1 Peter 2 is all about doing. It's all about activity. So let's look back here at some of this godly activity. Here's some of the words that are in chapter 2. He says, abstain from sin. He says, do good deeds. He says, submit to authority. He says, show respect. He says, love people. He says, endure suffering. He doesn't say anything about speaking anything. Right? Remember earlier we said, sometimes the way that I'm living speaks so loud I can't hear what you're saying? That's what he's getting at right here. He's saying, live in such a way that your life is an apologetic. And what I like here, the point of this is, it's not just that you get the pride and the uh, satisfaction of silencing somebody. It's that in the silence, they're beginning to get curious. It's that in the silence, you're making them want to know how can it be that this person is loving me who I stand against and I oppose what they believe. Like to an unbeliever, that just really butts heads. Right? They should be mean towards me because I'm mean to them. I'm belittling what they believe. I don't believe the way they do and yet they're still kind to me. They still say they pray for me. They're showing me good deeds. And so this causes them to pause and get curious. Like how, how is this happening? Why are they treating me this way? You know the truth of the matter here before we progress to three is every one of us used to talk foolish because we were ignorant people. Spiritually speaking. And we still do on occasion I'm sure. And so when we look at those people then it's not you're hating me it's I understand where you're coming from. You're in the dark. You've been blinded by the God of this age. You can't see what's true. I need to come to you with that mindset. I need to come with you with that knowledge. I know that you don't see the light. Rather than getting discouraged or frustrated or angry, Peter says here, let your life have the power to silence somebody by the good that you do. So then they begin to get a little bit curious about your God. And then third here this morning, as an apologist, others will see and experience grace 
and they may glorify God as well. And this is the beautiful part of this text. You know, we started at number one for a reason because if we run past one, we get to two quickly. I want to shut you up. And when that's my attitude, I never get to three. I'll never get to a place where I'll see a person who I've put in their place experience grace. See, I have an ability to turn people away from truth by my actions. My mouth can say what's right, but my life has got to be an apologetic as well. And so the goal then, the heart in this is we want people to see what's true. You know, I've had to learn that sometimes a good thing to do is just kind of back out of that conversation. Not necessarily out of the person, but you can tell when the intensity level is starting to rise a little bit in the conversation. Like, hey, we need, to, we need to back off this. They're not prepared. They're not ready to hear this. And so I could press on and tell you this. Last Sunday night, I was sitting with a guy from Bangladesh. I was wanting to talk to him about Jesus. And so I'm just sitting here in the forefront of my mind is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And we're eating ice cream and I just want to blurt out, Jesus, gospel, just let me tell you about Jesus for a minute. And the conversation would start to turn that way and you could just tell he's just closed. And, like, and so I'm sitting there and Stephanie's across the table and I'm praying because I can tell she's looking at me like, you know, God, do something here. This is our, maybe our last moment with this guy. And so... And it just, it never lent itself that way. And we'd start to go that way and it'd go back to, oh, let's talk about New York. And it'd start to go that way and, oh, my parents are over here. And it's just like, just be quiet. Let me tell you about Jesus. Sometimes we just got to back out of a conversation. Love a person. Pray for a person. Know that we may be the person who's just helping move them from a point of no curiosity to maybe just being a little bit curious now. He says, I've never met a family like your family. I said, man, you ought to meet my church. You know, we're just ordinary people who are trying to love the Lord. And we're broken people and we've got issues as well. But we're trying to love people. I heard Bill Heibel say it this way. If point zero is the point of belief and we start at negative ten, every one of us in our life have people who move us from the dot to dot to dot. And so maybe a conversation doesn't get that person all the way to zero instantly, but maybe it gets them to negative nine. Maybe they're just willing to let somebody else talk to them. And we were talking to him about, we kept saying it over, oh, we're praying about this and praying for you and praying, just trying to pray, 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 pray. And he says, oh, I pray, I go to the mosque. When I was in New York, I went every Friday and we go through our ritual and why we do it and and just kept looking for that open door. And so my prayer, I mean, I saw this man walk away and I was just like totally deflated. It was just like you're almost watching somebody walk into hell. And I don't know. I mean, from my point of view, I just, the door wasn't there. Maybe when I sit down with God and he looks at that and he says, I gave it right to you, buddy. I lobbed one up to you and you couldn't knock it out of the park. You backtracked. I think sometimes you just got to backtrack because people aren't ready to hear it. But you pray. You know, maybe this is moving them closer to that point zero, that point of where the eyes are opened and they really see Jesus as Savior and they confess Him as Lord. That's the heartbeat. And to me, that's what makes this text beautiful. Peter's writing to people who are suffering. He's writing to people who 
are being treated as troublemakers. He's writing to people who when they start to say anything about Christ are immediately just shut down. You have people in your life like that? You know, sometimes we can hear something from somebody, a word, and then we say, well, so-and-so said it, and we go, oh, I don't believe that. It could be totally true, but we just don't believe it because so-and-so said it. Right? The goal is to get other people to see and to experience grace so they might want to pursue the Lord and ultimately glorify God as well. They want to worship Him. Live such good lives among the pagans. Don't talk it, live it. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It doesn't say they will. It'd be nice if it said that. It doesn't say all. It'd be nice if it said that. But what it does say is where our hearts should be tuned. In conversation and action toward people, the goal is not to silence you. The goal is that you may experience compassion, love, truth, that you might get it for the first time and that you may be curious enough to pursue the Lord, love Him, and live your life for His glory as well. So Peter challenged him, excel in good works. Chapter 3, okay, give a reason for your hope but make sure your life is lined up with what you're about to say so that others may experience grace and glorify God as well. You know, sometimes... What we do speaks so loud that people can't hear what we say. And by the way, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. We know Paul wrote and said faith comes by hearing and that hearing's through the gospel. They've got to hear truth. But oftentimes, the door of truth hinges on the good deed, the kindness, the grace shown, where there begins to become a curiosity. Others will see and experience and may glorify God as well. So here today we've talked a little bit about trying to live in such a way that causes people to make and take a double take. You know what a double take is? You've all done that before, right? You look at something, you're like, oh, I, I'm certain I didn't just see what I think I saw. And a lot of times you know I shouldn't look again, but I'm going to. Right? That's a double take. So we want to live our lives in such a way where people do a double take. And so instead of them looking at Christians going racist, homophobe, bigot, you know, hater, intolerant, irrelevant, they may look at, okay, that's what I've heard a Christian is, but I've met a Christian. And they're gracious. And they're patient. And they're kind. And they've shown me selfless love. So that what I've heard about you and what I'm seeing in you don't jive. So ultimately it'll make them curious and want to pursue the Lord so that the Savior whose wounds healed us would also heal them. Don't you want that? I don't want my story just to be by my wounds or by his wounds I'm healed. I want to know people that by his wounds you're healed also. So may God help us not to have the reactionary attitude to want to shut people up. May God help us to not have the attitude of pride. You know, when you win an argument, you feel pretty good about yourself, don't you? Ah, I trumped you. I got you. You, you. you don't have a word to say. When you lose an argument, you feel terrible. The point isn't winning and losing. 
Neither one's really that important. The main thing is that people hear truth and that people can be compelled, curious, made to seek what is true. Living your life as an apologist. It's a call from Peter. It's a call from the Word of God for how you and I are to live our life here today.